Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best card sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern, legacy, and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Order your Guilds of Ravnica singles and sealed product now. You know you want that sweet Assassin's Trophy action. Great removal is, well, great! Thank you for supporting the show when you shop at cardkingdom.com KTM. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune into their stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. I had the honor of being invited to Paragon City Games to film a vlog about their Heroes League Invitational Qualifier series. The players there love competitive magic. The store is super clean, open, friendly, and a great place to play magic. Their staff is super friendly and they have an amazing streaming setup to broadcast live feature matches. Talking about it doesn't do it justice, you'll have to go see the vlogs I made to know what I'm talking about. Just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made one each on Standard, Modern, and Legacy. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. I'm happy to welcome pro player, 2015 world champion, and class of 2018 Pro Tour Hall of Fame inductee, Seth Manfield. Seth is an incredible player, sweeping multiple GPs, crushing 2015 Worlds, and grinding almost every Premier level tournament. Even as a kid, Seth was a skilled player, playing in the Junior Super Series and earning several Pro Tour invites, even when his mom didn't let him go. Seth also loves to teach about the game, offering private coaching and writing strategy articles for TCG Player. His recent Pro Tour Ixalan win solidified him as a player that's here to stay and change the landscape of competitive magic. Seth shares with us his journey and his pride as a father. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Seth Manfield. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the illustrious Seth Manfield. Seth, how's it going? Hi, Sam. Uh, it's great to be here talking to you. And I'm waiting to hear what questions you're going to throw at me today. <laughs> All the questions are going to be fun, I promise. I'm very, very happy to have you here. You are an incredibly talented player. You've defined much of the Magic community as well as pro competition. And I'm really happy that you've agreed to be on the show. Oh, no problem. I'm not all I'm cracked up to be, but I try my best, obviously, in Magic tournaments and producing content for TCG Player. And I like to think I'm one of the more influential figures in the pro scene. But of course, there's many more figures in Magic than just pros. Well, you are a very humble and generous person. And well, like all things, I want to start at the beginning. Where did you grow up and how did you find Magic? Well, I found Magic at recess time in school when I saw friends with cards. I had no idea what they were on the blacktop. And I was like, oh, these look cool. Like, I like games. I've always been a games person. So I was trying to 
to figure out what they did. Maybe 10 years later, I actually understood what, what the cards did. But, um, you know, so it was when I was eight years old when I first picked up the cards. And then I slowly started learning more and more about the game. And I think that's pretty typical for most players to not fully understand how magic works. I'm not sure I currently fully understand all of the intricacies of the game. But that is how I first started learning was just friends playing very, very casually, not competitively, not really knowing what the cards did. It's interesting that you say that. I think a lot of Magic players, when they're kids, uh, start off not knowing what all the rules are. I, I have this discussion almost every single time when I first started playing Magic as well. I had no idea what some of the spells did. Like, my friend and I, like the story that I would always tell, we would put Dark Ritual on the battlefield as a permanent, <laughs> and we'd get three mana every single time we tap it. And we just wouldn't understand exactly what a mana source was versus now just having it just being an instant. Yeah, initially when I first started playing, all my friends and I were just into the largest possible creature we could find. Like, I remember looking on online and buying crows and cloud scrapers, you know, because they, they were 13, 13. I was like, wow, th this, this thing is just huge and I can just win with it, you know, and just not really realizing, you know, everything about why maybe crows and cloud scraper is not as insane as, as it first looks. Who first taught you how to play magic? Your friends? Yeah, I would say I first learned to play magic, a combination of my friends me online. I eventually started to read strategy articles and learning myself just through practice and playing. There was a combination there. I think that's pretty typical of most players to want to hear about famous players and know that there's players out there that are doing this and are insane at the game and something to aspire to, but also wanting to have fun and just enjoy playing. And then it was a slow progression. And eventually I went to my local game store and found that I could actually jump in and play with some of the better players at the game store just based on practicing with friends. And so I felt like that was a good starting point for me. You said earlier on that Croson Cloud Scraper was like a big creature that you really had your eyes on. What were some of those early sets that you cut your teeth? So I believe I first started playing around Odyssey was when I first like, I believe the first booster pack I opened was Odyssey. And I didn't really get into Standard until the Tooth and Nail deck. So I believe that was right after, I guess I was around Mirrodin block when I first and I always I started with drafting because drafting was kind of the the more casual thing we could do where everyone likes cracking boosters like that's where that's where it starts right so and we could crack boosters and do something with them so that combination is where I started off I remember having a birthday party where I had a box and we we all drafted and we had a great time it's funny my mom for that birthday party had Wizards of the Coast like it was like a custom designed cake basically and then Wizards because she had asked to use one of the cards for the design of the cake, they sent us that free box. So that was the only time I've ever gotten like a free box from Wizards outside of like a tournament seat. So that was cool. And that was when I was like 12 years old and we were all drafting. And so I started out drafting and then I, I slowly entered the realm of standard at around Mirrodin. At Mirrodin Block is when I fully understood kind of how to play in a competitive way. So just like every kid, you found the game, played with friends, drafted, goofed off, just kind of did your thing, had the Magic-themed birthday party, and eventually you made your way into Standard in a competitive format. What was your thought process jumping in as kind of like a kid or a teen saying to yourself, hey, I want to play this competitively? 
there was no, no real thought process for wanting to play competitively beyond just enjoying the game and it being one of the major things I did with friends. So when you're really having fun doing something, the competitive instinct just jumps in. Like, I want to win whatever I'm doing, whether it's playing magic or taking a pop quiz or at, at school. Like, I want to get an A in that, you know? So I am always want to do my best, and I feel like being competitive is part of doing your best. So it just came naturally. I wasn't really thinking, oh, I want to get better and better and better. I just wanted to, to be the best that I could. And I realized, based on my skill set, that it was something that I was also very good at. And when you realize that you're very good at something, you put more time into it, you put more effort into it, and then naturally you become better. And then the competition just kind of comes off of that. Seth, did you feel like you had a natural talent with magic or that was something that you really practiced and worked on to cultivate? For sure. I, I've always had a natural talent with magic and with other games. My dad, he, he was a world champion bridge player. So it's part of my background. I believe that some of my skill set is is just that inherent ability to kind of grasp things that others may not be able to in the game. But then, of course, a lot of it is also work. So it's a combination, but you don't just get to where I am based on luck, right? But of course, luck is always nice to have luck. But yeah, I would just say I knew that this is something that I could be very good at based on my own talents, something that it's a field where I feel like I can use my expertise and I would say that it was a combination. Were there some early level up moments that you distinctively remember when, you know, for example, you're playing and you're just like, wow, I've, I won this tournament or, oh, wow, like I've gotten a lot better. For sure. I feel like I leveled up the first time I was in a position to win a PTQ. So this was one of the first PTQs I ever played. And it was a Kamigawa limited PTQ and it was a team tournament. So I was playing with two other much older men because I was a, a small child at the time. We made it all the way to the finals of the PTQ and people were just kind of looking at us like who's that little kid with those two other guys that I just randomly picked up at the local game store and how did these guys make the finals then we made it to the finals and I informed my teammates hey guys I actually even if we win this tournament I won't be able to go to the pro tour because I have school and I have other obligations and my parents won't let me go to the pro tour I'm too young for this experience to do this on my own. And obviously, I was very upset at the time to hear that because I called my mom and I was like, hey, I'm about to win this tournament. I'm going to go to the pro tour. And she was like, no, you're not doing that. You're not going to Japan or etc. And I was just I was really bummed. But I knew that I had gotten to the place where I could actually win a PCQ. We were we were one Rochester draft away from winning. And so that was a fun experience. And I knew that, hey, you know what? I'm not going to win this PCQ. I'm not going to go to the pro tour but it's something that later on down the line I can aspire to and I can get back here. <laughs> wow, that is so cool. <laughs> These days, times have changed a lot. Now, when kids win something and they go to the Pro Tour, they go. Yeah, you know, that wasn't even the first time that it happened. It actually happened twice. The other time I won, I won the PTQ and I didn't, I was not able to attend the Pro Tour. So yeah, I happened to have a mother that was very protective over me and she wasn't into the idea of me traveling alone to foreign countries at the age of 12, which I mean, I can un understand part of it, but there also wasn't this thing where we, I could just defer the invite or I, I guess I didn't 
didn't even ask. Maybe I should have gone to Wizards and said, hey, I don't want to go to Japan. Can I go to this other one closer to my house? But anyways, I didn't do that, which is what maybe smarter kids would have done. Instead, I just skipped the Pro Tour. It was very sad, but I ended up playing a lot in my younger years in the Junior Super Series, which was one of the, it was, I believe it was 15 and other, under kids. And it's an event that unfortunately we don't have today, but it was another way that I could develop my talents. And other other well-known players right now, like the likes of Owen Turdenwald, similar age to me, I believe he also was playing in that series. So there's a bunch of players that grew up playing in that JSS series. And I was, while I wasn't able to attend Pro Tours when I was super young, I was able to play in that. A lot of other pros mention the Junior Super Series as a great environment for younger players to get together, compete, and then it also kind of, I think, also made parents a little bit more comfortable because back in the day, Magic isn't as developed and as widespread as it is today with GPs and different events and things. Oh, yeah. My mom still has the JSS parent mug, and I've still got the, the backpack and my four Royal Assassins that I got. I believe that was one of the promos from the Junior Super Series. So, Anyways, yeah, it was super fun. It's great to play with players your own age. Currently, hey, I still like playing with players my own age. I'd rather not play with a 12-year-old and play with someone who's 25 because I feel like I can relate to them more. It's nothing against anyone else, but I feel like people in general can relate to people at a similar age because they're likely to have similar interests to you. And seeing a room full of you know 13 and 14-year-old players, that's not something that happens anymore. And and it's kind of unfortunate, but it was also pretty fun to win win a tournament like that and realize, hey, maybe I'm not a pro right now, but I won a tournament where I finished in first place out of a lot of other peers of mine, which is pretty special. So, Seth, you were playing in the Junior Super Series. You were obviously playing in PTQs, winning a few of them. When do you remember was your first pro tour? My first pro tour was Geneva in 2007. And based on my previous story, I was not alone for that one. I actually went with my aunt and uncle and their daughter who accompanied me to that pro tour, which was very nice of them. And I was 16 years old and I did cash. It was a fully limited pro tour, the only full on limited pro tour that I've had a chance to play in because those are basically dead now. We no longer have pro tours that are only limited, but I remember having a a blast drafting five times throughout the course of the event and I enjoyed also the independence of it getting to travel all that way even though yes I was accompanied but it felt really good to kind of get my first intro into the pro tour and I also in that same year won a grand prix so I had early success it allowed me to then finally once you once you go to one pro tour you want to just keep going and going and that's what I tried to do when you arrived at uh, pro tour Geneva on the tournament floor and you were looking around and seeing all these different hall of famers and other pros did you recognize any of the people that were writing those strategy articles that you were reading when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. I think one of my idols was Kenji Sumara. I was watching him in the top eight of the event, just doing some of the Japanese players. Even now, I'm kind of in awe of them. Like some of the plays that they make, I'm just like, wow, I never thought of that. The crispness that they play. And so he was one of the players at the time that I really looked up to. And then there's other players who I remember playing against who I had no clue who they were. Like, I believe I played Guillaume Madignon at that event. Just seemed like an average guy that I was playing against. No idea who he was. Now, however many years later, obviously he is someone that I recognize. So there's a lot of that where I was seeing players who were at the earlier stage 
stages of, of their careers and now are very recognizable figures. That is so cool. And so now you are a fixture on the Pro Tour and, you know, many years have gone by and you've competed with such fervor and such tenacity and such discipline. Seth, can you tell us what does it feel like to be a pro at your level, especially 2015 world champion? It feels really good to be at the level I'm at because I feel like basically I can do anything or accomplish any goal that I set out to within the magic world. It almost is this feeling of unstoppableness, which once you get to the level I'm at, it feels really good. Obviously, I'm at the very, very top of the game and there isn't that much more that I really need to do in order to feel like I've accomplished what I set out to do as a magic pro. So at this point, I know I can do it. I know what I'm capable of. And once you know that you're capable of getting to where I'm at, it's kind of just gravy after that. It's like a balance of working very hard and accomplishing something very specific and then achieving incremental pieces of that success that affirms that what you're doing is right. And that seems to have like a feedback loop to further inspire you and drive you to accomplish more. Yeah, I mean, I think what drives me right now is my love for winning, for doing well. And it's the same thing that that drove me through For instance, the 2015 World Championship, where I did not expect to do well because I knew that I was playing against the best players in the world, and I had no idea how I would fare at such a high level. So once I saw myself doing really well, you know, I was able to raise my level of play and push myself. And I feel like when I really need to, I'm able to push myself through the toughest situations that you can encounter as a Magic player and exceed my own expectations. And I thrive off that. So I I thrive off doing well and I'm able to focus in more when a match is really, really important to me. And you were absolutely focused during the 2015 World Champion because if I recall, you went 15 and one at that tournament. I did. I, I had an unbelievable record at that tournament, dropping only one match. It was an unbelievable feeling. I don't think I've ever had that same feeling of not being able to lose, not being willing to lose. And once you start rattling off wins like that, your expectations change, you know? Like if I had started 1-2 in my first draft, maybe had a mediocre first day, my expectation would have been, hey, maybe I'll make a little bit of extra money on the second day. But once I, once you start out well in a tournament, you want to anything less than a, a top finish is not going to meet your expectations. And, my, and at that tournament, because it was so small, if I wasn't in first, it was almost like I was in last, you know? Like I not anything less than first, it, especially if I let myself down, being as in I made a misplay or I made a misstep would have been very disappointing. But I didn't let that happen. And I just got into a, a zone, a feeling, a something. Um, sometimes I feel like there's something out there, some force that allows you to, in the right moments, just kind of get into a a zone that I was able to get into for that tournament. And that is part of how I was able to raise myself to play my best. You were absolutely in a peak flow state because worlds, I mean, the room is not like a bunch of slouches. I mean, these are the world's best players that have accumulated very special, uh, you know, an invitation. They've, they've earned a very special invitation to that tournament. So you're, so you're, you're, you're in very strong competition, very strong company, and you still go 15 and one. That just, to me, that baffles my mind. <laughs> of course, all, of course, winning the whole thing, that also baffles my mind. 
Yeah, I mean, it baffled my mind as well, really. This was my first world championship, right? It's not like I had been there before and realized what it was like. No, I was stepping into this ring, this arena of players that I had been looking up to. I'd seen play on Twitch, or I'd, but I hadn't played against these types of players, many of them before, and I was kind of in awe and in shock a little bit. And I'm someone that gets very nervous, so you can imagine the state of mind I was in. I had so many emotions going through me and it's it's hard to shut off. Hey, this match is if you make one mistake, you just cost yourself 30 grand, you know, or it, it's hard to not think about that type of stuff and just just kind of think about the moment and not to think about, hey, what will it mean if I win before I actually win? Right. So that was what I, there was all of this stuff going on. And I just tried to Luckily, between the day two and the top four, I had a full day to prep with my team who I tested for at the event. And that was Brad Nelson, Ari Lax, and Steve Rubin. And so they kind of helped calm my nerves. We tested the matchups. And once I realized the matchups, and it's a great thing to do if you ever have a chance to test matchups before important matchups, I was able to do that. And I realized these matchups are in my favor. So that gave me more confidence that I had, I was coming in with a better deck than my opponents. And when you realize that, then your expectations also, that's another way of expectations going up. I remember looking at a poll for the 2015 World Championships, and even though going into the tournament, I was ranked something like 17th out of 24 or something, going into the top four based on my deck alone, not based on me as a player, because people didn't know who I was, but based on my deck, I was the odds-on favorite to win. Well, people absolutely know who you are now. You've been on quite a tear since then, because even in 2016, you won back-to-back GPs, one in New York and one in Costa Rica. There was a moment in the MTG community and also in coverage where people were just slack-jawed. <laughs> people were just afraid to be at any GP that you were at. I did win back-to-back Grand Prix. That was quite a spectacular series of tournaments for me. Both of them were standard, and I played two different decks. I remember brewing up the white-black control deck I played in New York and won the night before. Zero games tested with it. <laughs> and I, I was in my friend's basement, Frank Scarran, and I was just at, hey, like, there's no cards for me for any decks. I guess I'll just play with these white and black control cards or whatever because I was I was just having a good weekend and I was like whatever this is a throwaway Grand Prix and I just brewed up I brewed up the the deck uh, the night before and so some I mean that was just an amazing feeling because that's not good tournament prep at all yet that is what happened and then I subsequently played a different deck um, in Costa Rica and won that one so obviously it took a lot of luck to win any time to win a tor one tournament, it takes a lot of luck and then to win two back to back. But I was just feeling when you win, you're always going to feel much better about a tournament than when you lose. And I was able to share those experiences with friends with family and with the community at large, it's kind of it's kind of nice when the community just drops their jaw just drops and they're like, "What? He actually just won back to back tournaments." Um, and I believe I was at the time the first like the the first ranked player, and then I was and then I was winning Grand Prix on top of that. So I think players. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to know exactly when I started becoming the real deal and people started realizing, hey, he's actually one of the best players in the world, which I do believe that I am, but it might have been during the, that sequence of winning those two Grand Prix. The story you just told, you just kind of picked up a bunch of random cards and brewed up this thing. Oftentimes, brews don't make it very far in GPs. Yeah, you know, that was 
a once in a lifetime thing. I don't think you can expect to just brew up a deck and succeed with that without getting in the reps. It was, and I don't even know why I did it, but I did do it. I don't think that that's a recipe for success long term, but I do like to try different strategies. Maybe it's not brewing a completely different deck, but trying a new card in a already existing deck. And so I like to put my own spin on decks. I'm not just going to play the stock 75 that I see so-and-so play. I am going to put my own spin on things. Maybe it's a few cards different. Maybe it's a completely new archetype. Going into tournaments like Pro Tours is when I put more energy into the brewing phase of my game because I have more time to brew. And I also, the Pro Tours are where I'm going to put a little bit more preparation in for those tournaments. You're also a columnist at TCG Player. And so not only do you think and brew and kind of learn the game yourself, you're also teaching a lot of other players how to play the game. You're also an MTG coach. What is your thought process about teaching magic? I love to teach magic, whether it be writing a column on TCG Player, creating video content, or I do my own private coaching sessions, which I still do that. And you can always contact me about my coaching sessions, which I do. And, and players give me great feedback about the, those. And I like to talk to people one-on-one so that I can kind of get players' own insight on here's what I feel like I need to improve on for my game. But I also like to give general pointers that anyone can kind of grasp onto. And part of the best way to do that is through the written content because it goes out to so many players And I also like to share my decks, you know, if I do well at a tournament with a deck and be like, hey, you know what, this is the best way to build Tron, or this is the best way to play with humans or whatever the deck may be. I like to be able to share that, then the community can give me positive feedback. Is there a particular format that you really enjoy to play and study and think about? So I don't consider myself a legacy player per se. Of course, I play legacy whenever there's a legacy Grand Prix because I love Grand Prix. But I would say that I focus mostly on the main competitive formats. And that would be standard and modern. Right now, I have been focused on modern because Pro Tour, the 25th anniversary, I was playing modern. And so I have been doing a decent amount of modern, but I suspect my my focus will shift back to standard. I would say those are my two formats that I am primarily focused on besides, of course, drafting and limited. What are some pointers you can give to the listening audience who are trying to level up about keeping up with the rotation of standard? Things kind of shift and people have to kind of get new cards. But on top of just the financial burden of switching a format, you also have to do this kind of like this head shift with the different strategies and archetypes that come out with new sets. Yeah, you make a great point about how standard is constantly shifting and that can affect your finances. It can affect the cards that a certain deck is playing or maybe a deck just becomes completely obsolete because of one card or another. I come in to standard knowing that the format is constantly going to be changing. You can't expect for a deck to be the best deck forever. Sometimes it is, you know, Chain Whirlers busted, et cetera, et cetera. But um, no, I really do think that standard, you have to constantly be adapting to it. And it's not like modern where you can just buy a deck and hopefully play the same deck for an X amount of period of time. In standard, you kind of have to be willing to invest into the new cards and realize that, hey, like I'm going to get the value out of these cards while I can and know that there are rotations, there are new sets 
And because standard is such a small card pool, say there's seven sets in standard. If you add one new set to it, then, you know, that's a lot of new cards compared to a set like modern, where there's so many more sets that if you add one set, it's still relatively insignificant. So that's a big difference. And I like that the fact that a lot of the standard cards are less expensive. There's a couple staples, but say if you buy into Teferi, Hero of Dominaria right now, you're getting a card that it's an iconic planeswalker. You know that it's going to be good in standard for the next however long it's going to be in standard. And then it's also played in other formats all the way down to vintage. So sometimes you can you can look at the more expensive cards in a format and be like, hey, you know what? This is an expensive card, but it also happens to be a mythic and a planeswalker. And I'm okay with that because I'll get my usage out of it. It's very interesting. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like, they kind of grumble a little bit about standard. But Seth, we recently wrapped up Pro Tour 25 year anniversary. And that was a team Pro Tour. A lot of the community were always thinking about who are the people that they kind of grew up with and who are the people that play with them and test with them and compete with them and make them better players. Seth, who in your life have really helped you become the player that you are today? So Pro Tour 25th anniversary it has been really like a celebration of 25 years of playing Magic. That's a, wow, that is a long time. And I've been playing for over half that period, which, yeah, um, it's been quite a journey to get to to the 25th anniversary Pro Tour. And I'd say family, family and friends, you know, from my early childhood, uh, my mom, even though she is, she's been very influential for me. And of course, currently my girlfriend, my family for letting me play magic are who i really have to thank the most because without that support system then i wouldn't be able to do this i know there's plenty of significant others or players who don't really understand magic and they're kind of like wow you're playing magic what is that why are you spending your time that way this isn't productive etc etc there's a lot of there you can get that other side of the coin but i have been fortunate to find people who are supportive of my journey through playing magic and then as far as my gameplay itself, leveling it up. I think that when I first met my current teammates, like like Brad Nelson, for example, who I actually played the Pro Tour 25th anniversary with, he is someone that helped evolve my own deck building and tuning and stuff like that. The the tips I have gotten from him for standard were crucial when it, when it came to a tournament like the 2015 World Championships. So a lot of the players who I grew up playing Magic with, unfortunately, they, they don't play Magic anymore and they don't necessarily follow me as much. But the local community, um, the Maryland store Dream Wizards, there's still locals who you, you might have heard their names, you might not have, but players like Tommy Ashton, Alex Magilton, I've known them for pretty much as long as I've known anyone in the Magic community, and they're still playing uh, at the Pro Tour. So I would say p- those types of guys who have just kind of stayed with the game throughout the years are who I would like to thank the most for my Magic journey. You mentioned about Team Genesis. How did you decide to form Team Genesis? Was it just kind of you scratching your own itch saying, hey, there's a need here, I'm just going to do it? Or uh, this was a collective group effort that people said, hey, let's all just come together and do this. So Team Genesis is one of the more unique teams on the Pro Tour as part of the team series. And one of the major reasons is that it's grouped of players from two different countries. We've got our Europeans and our Americans. 
And that is a pretty, that's a, sp- a pretty special thing to be able to meet up with players from a different country and to learn their backgrounds and what's unique about them. And they're definitely very different than Americans and they like, they like different things. But I would say first joining up with Genesis, I was kind of the odd man out. Like this was a team that previously was Team Eureka, which I was not on. And it consisted of Europeans and Brad Nelson, who was kind of the lone American. And then eventually when I started saying, hey, guys, I'm Seth Manfield. I'm looking for a team. I some eyes turned to be like, hey, we know he's a great player. So I used the fact that I was kind of a great player to kind of get my way, weasel my way onto the team in the first place. And then once I was on the team, players were really happy I was on the team because of the points that I was getting for the team at the Pro Tours. But I think that it was kind of a thing where, hey, we want to make a team of great players. We can't do it just with one country alone. We're going to combine forces. And it kind of evolved. We added Brian Bronduin. We we added Corey Baumeister. And then inevitably, there's going to be players who throughout the Pro Tour, throughout years, they're going to somewhat fall off. So we had a couple of players who maybe didn't make gold this year or that year, but we were able to kind of adapt the roster. And I think that's what most teams have been doing. Do you feel like it's fed into the competitive advantage of Team Genesis? I mean, you are a powerhouse. Brian Brown-Twin is also a world champion. Brad Nelson is an incredible player. Corey Baumeister was also on a tear for a while. This is just such big names in Magic right now. Yeah, Genesis is chock full of some of the best players in the world. And that's how I like to surround myself when playing Magic. I like to to know that, hey, these guys are also great players. I can respect their opinions and I can trust them. And I've worked with them before. And so we create this relationship where we're able to get good feedback from someone. Like if Brad tells me, hey, you know, you don't want to be playing control right now in standard. It's not well positioned. I don't have to then go and play control and make sure he's correct. I just believe him, you know? And so you get to this point with other players where you establish a a level of trust because you know how good they are and they put up these results and they've done X and X and X. Whereas if I was teaming with local PTQ Warners, I might have to question them because I wouldn't know as much about them. So I, we've, we've established this repertoire and it's been working well for us. It's a lot like making sure that you have your facts straight. Like, when, like what kind of data, what quality of data are you getting? Because uh, Magic is so complex. Having a team allows everyone to kind of parse out and like piece out what portion of the testing they're going to do for a particular format. Oh, yeah. Team dynamics are really important when preparing for a, a large scale tournament like a Pro Tour. Like for me, a lot of my player, a lot of the players on Genesis go to me for limited advice, which is something that player people may not know because limited isn't something that's as widely talked about as maybe standard or or modern. But limited is something that I've always found myself to be very inherently a strong drafter, and I, so I'm always on Magic Online or in, in paper playing in drafts. And then players can come to me and be like, hey, what are the exact pick orders? Like when we go into testing, we actually create lists of this card is better than this card, which is better than this card, which is better than another card. And we have lists of of the cards so that when we go into a drafted approach or we know exactly which card to pick over another one. And that can help players that, you know, aren't that great at drafting or don't spend as much time drafting because they're they're Brad Nelson and they want to break standard and they can't afford to be spent to be doing all the drafts that I've been doing. So we feed off of each other. And that is part of what being a team is. I've seen you at different Grand Prix as well. I was also at uh, 
Pro Tour Ixalan doing coverage with TJ Rogers. And I remember seeing you there incredibly focused. Every tournament I'm at, in the middle of the tournament, you are focused. I mean, you you kind of you walk around a little bit to kind of clear your head, but the look on your face is you are still in the tournament. You're still playing the games. And so I remember when you won Pro Tour Ixalan, it was such a release of, of happiness, of joy, of you know getting a Pro Tour title. For sure, Sam. I find myself walking and pacing around the room is something that I do at tournaments. Like That is just my way of kind of calming my nerves and focusing in for the next match. Obviously, it's not something that everyone or anyone else does, but it's something that I do because I do have this nervous energy and this excitement about wanting to win and do well in a tournament. And each match matters so much that sometimes you will see me and know, hey, this guy is just trying to stay focused and to finish the tournament because sometimes I just want the tournament to be over and know that I played my best because if I know that I didn't play my best, then, uh, then then it's a sour feeling. And everyone has those sour feelings of finishing a tournament on the in the wrong way. But for Pro Tour Ixalan, being in a stage where I'm, I made the Pro Tour top eight and I had a great deck behind me, I had a great team behind me, it felt like being my fourth Pro Tour top eight that this is the one where I could kind of gather my nerves and come out with the win. And I felt like the players that I was playing against I felt like I had the better matchups and I, I had this and this going for me. So I it was actually the Pro Tour that I felt like I was going to win. And that created more nervousness around me because a Pro Tour has however many players, 400 players or so. So to put yourself in a position to win a Pro Tour, is a one, it's a once in a lifetime thing, right? Like I might not ever have a chance to play in a Pro Tour Finals again, you know? It's something that you have to get incredibly lucky and have so many things go your way. So when the, that situation does come out up, you really, really want to make the most of it. And that's where all that energy comes from, just wanting to do well, the match is only however many minutes of your life, but it's those minutes are so incredibly important and every decision so incredibly important and you just want to do your best. Now, remind me, was that your first Pro Tour championship? Pro Tour Excellent was my first and only Pro Tour championship. I have four Pro Tour top eights and the world championship win. And that's kind of my headliner results besides the, the Grand Prix finishes. And the other finish that I guarantee, unless you're a really big fan of mine, you don't know about is that I actually won this win gold tournament back in 2009, which was actually good for, for 10 grand. So it was pretty good when I was a teenager. And that was like uh, one of the tournaments that was attached to a world championship event. And it's really interesting because not a lot of players get to say that they, be <laughs> they become world champion first and then pro tour champion. Yeah, most of the time players do not actually get invited to a, a world championship event until they've won a pro tour, being that one of the easiest ways to actually get to the and I say easy being, of course, it's not easy. <laughs> right, right. But like one of the ways to get to the world championship is to win a pro tour. Like that's one of the main ways to get there. So I agree that it's a lot of times players will not have had success at the world championships, let alone win a world championship until they've done well at a pro tour. And I'm looking forward to the current world championships because there's a number of guys that have not gotten to compete at such a high level before, but they won a pro tour. And so now they are going to be there. And I have zero experience 
with their games or playing with them. And so I'm, I'm certainly going to be studying up on them. But you never want to underrate someone like a Wyatt Darby who won a Pro Tour with Mono Red or the, the guys that just won the, the Team Pro Tour from Team Hot Sauce. So these guys will be like I was in World Championships 2015 where they may not be well-recognizable faces just yet. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. And I'm always looking forward to getting back to the World Championships because that's my goal every year is to make it to Worlds because it's the, the best event of the year of the calendar year if you can get there and be one of those 24 playing at that event i love that spirit of competition that you have seth and i also wanted to take a little bit of a different direction i wanted to talk to you about you being a father there's not a lot of magic players who really you know as pros who are like hey you know i'm a pro and this is my job and this is strategy strategy all day but at the end of the day you go home to a beautiful little girl that you are so proud to be the father of um and we recently saw a little bit of her in in your Enter the Battlefield episode, and it all kind of captured our hearts. It's, it's very sweet to have a beautiful family like that. Absolutely. My family means everything to me. Well, everything besides magic, basically. But um, yeah, no, for sure. Having Eve around, she's three years old right now. She's sleeping in the other room. So I might have to interrupt uh, this interview while I go check on her real quick. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, of course, <laughs> she's fine. I'm always thinking about her, right? I always want to be thinking about her. And if I'm at a magic event, sometimes... It's hard to think about your home life and make sure, hey, is my daughter doing all right? Well, hey, should I attack for lethal on board? But, <laughs> you know, so sometimes magic is kind of a release, a little bit of a way to get away from the home life and to have that that outside experience. But when I'm here, I just love to be around them and know how much they care. You know, when you have someone so young, they're much more reliant. They're so reliant on their parents for everything. Um, so I'm lucky to have my significant other who is Eve's mother and she does a lot of the the raising of my daughter as well but it's mutual you know and so magic happens to be a career path where I may be gone x amount of the time especially on weekends but I'm also at home a lot of the weekdays which works out really well because that means maybe we're not paying for a babysitter or this or that so I do get to spend plenty of time with Eve and I enjoy those moments when I do get to spend time with her and it's pretty special when I come back from tournaments because you know how much you've been missed because it's like, hey, I missed you. I like sometimes when when someone's gone, you realize how much you care about them. And that's kind of what I feel when I get back home from a tournament. Do you ever feel like you're going to have the opportunity to be able to bring her with you as you travel the world? I would like to bring Eve to some of my tournaments as well as my girlfriend, Jenny. And I have. I have done that before, I believe, to one Grand Prix in Portland. But unfortunately, a magic scene or a convention center isn't necessarily the best environment for a small child. But if there's maybe other things to do around the site, maybe family is with me as well, then certainly I, I would like to show them around. And this is a big if transitioning into the Hall of Fame. If I were to get inducted into the Hall of Fame which fingers crossed there. But um, then, of course, I would want to bring them to that Pro Tour because that's going to be a very special moment. Beyond just the Pro Tour, it would be an induction ceremony as well. Yeah, very, very cool. And also touching on the Pro Tour, I mean, kind of as we're speaking right now, I mean, this podcast will be out a little bit later, but as we're speaking right now, there's the Hall of Fame voting is kind of going on right now. Absolutely, yeah. I just got my own ballot emailed to me for the Hall of Fame voting. So uh, sometimes it's, it's a tense time. People wondering, hey, am I going to get enough votes? I believe that the voting threshold 
increased from like you needing 40% of the votes of all the players voting to 60%, which is a huge jump. So I know that Raptor Josh Utterleyden and, and Martin Juza got in last year, both fantastic players. I've been on the ballot for the past couple of years, but recently put up uh, the Pro Tour Ixland win and, and an additional Pro Tour top eight I was not on the ballot for. So certainly I believe that I have my, creden- my credentials went up. So I believe that I will be one of the players that players will be considering uh, voting for. So that feels good. I'm sure if you go on Twitter within the next few weeks, you'll see some debates about this player, that player, and whether they should get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, Because this year, especially, there's a lot of players who are, it's unknown whether they're going to get in or not get in. There's multiple players on the ballot that have that are recently on the ballot that have more pro tour tops eights than I do. So I liked, of course I'd love to, to be there and I'm hoping that I get there, but it's really, it's not up to me, right? It's up to the voters. So I'm crossing my fingers. It would be a very special if indeed I am inducted into the hall of fame. Yeah. You have a gajillion <laughs> lifetime pro points. I mean, you have like over 420. I mean, it's a lot. You have like 425 or 450. I mean, there's, that's a lot of pro points, man. I do have a lot of pro points. A lot of those are fr- coming from Grand Prix because I'm a constant Grand Prix grinder. I go to almost every one that there is, especially in North America. In terms of pro tours, I believe I would be one of the more inexperienced players inducted because I've only been to 25 pro tours, which is a pretty low number um, when you look at if you're a stats person and you're looking at, oh, how many pro tours have they played in or this or that. So there is that longevity thing thing even though i've been playing at the pro tour for whatever it is like maybe 12 years i took basically a five-year break because i went to school i got my degree um in college was not playing in any pro tours during that period so a lot of those pro points are within the past five years or so when i fully dedicated myself to becoming a professional magic player and what is on the horizon for you seth what's in the future more competition more traveling more content anything that you could share with us about what you're thinking about well i'd say currently on the forefront of my mind is the player of the year race just because I am deadlocked in in a heat with pretty much with two other guys could go either way. I've not ever been the player of the year. And obviously that that's a huge title to have. I've been close to it before. So it's going to be decided within the next month. So now at the point where it's going to motivate me to potentially go to, to the Grand Prix and put effort into testing for them because it's, it's an award that I would like to have. Reed Duke and Luis Salvato are also in the mix for it as well. And they're also both great players. So it could go either way, but that's that's currently um, what I'm thinking about right now. I kind of think about accomplishments and tournaments kind of as they come. Right now it's player of the year. I'm sure the world championships in a month from now, I'll be thinking about, all right, I need to prep for worlds and I'll be stressed out about that. So that's kind of the cycle of magic. You're always thinking about something. You've always got something to aspire to. You can never just sit, rest on your laurels and just chill out, which, yes, it's not something I recommend even after doing well. I feel like if I were to take a break and take a step back from the game, even if it was for a month or or two months, that I would lose a lot of what I had gained by playing um, up to this point. Okay, we're going to have more from Seth Manfield coming up in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. 
Seth, you have a Patreon supporters gift for us. Could you tell us what it is? Well, I would like to give out to all the Patreons a Civic Wayfinder. So this is a card that a lot of more recent players to Magic may not be familiar with. So let me fill you in on what it does, right? It's nothing absurd. We're not talking about a Haymaker here. We're talking about a three mana 2-2. Two -two. That's right. It costs one more than a Grizzly Bears and it's in green. But the fact is, is that you also get to search your library for a basic land when it enters the battlefield. So three mana 2-2, two -two, you search your library for a land. This is a card that I absolutely love to have in my decks when I was drafting. Ravnica happened to be my favorite draft format, so I would love to start start a draft with the Civic Wayfinder and then go into all of these this multicolored deck and then you can play this green card that allows you to search for your swamp and then you can have like a bounce land to go with it and you have all of these different pieces of the puzzle and the Civic Wayfinder, I love creatures that provide inherent card advantage for you uh, in Limited and so you're getting a 3 mana 2-2, two -two. yes that alone is nothing special but the fact that you can search your library for land, then you can sometimes play other cards, like you can play this card called Peel from Reality, right? That allows you to return it to your hand, then you bounce something of your opponents you replay it you get another land so it's going to be a card that in limited and, it, and civic wayfinder by the way has been reprinted uh and i i suspect i i would bet it will be reprinted again uh, because it's such an iconic card for those who love drafting throughout the years and i love to be able to search my library out for lands it allows me to play a deck that has more expensive cards in it because it allows you to transition almost like a card draw spell like a divination that allows you to kind of get more cards into your hand it allows you to get another land into your hand and transition to make sure you hit your fourth your fifth your sixth land drops however many land drops um so yeah the civic wayfinder it's one of those cards that i'm always gonna have in my mind i'm always gonna be taking it whenever i see it in a draft or in a limited format and hey i could see it in in standard formats it's it's i will admit that it's maybe not at that power level just yet but certainly a card that i have enjoyed playing with throughout my time drafting with it that's very cool i really appreciate that seth okay listeners we're gonna have a bunch of civic wayfinders for you that world champion seth manfield will be signing and uh thank you so much seth i really appreciate that yeah no problem seth has for patreon supporters signed copies of civic wayfinder you can get one by supporting the show at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic supplies are limited and i'm only giving them away to current supporters and new ones that sign up during october and november a big thanks to all my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future, who always open Mythic wildcards in their MTG Arena boosters. Again, that's patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thanks for your support. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. In my experiences ordering things online, I always hope everything goes well. Like, will I get my package quickly? Will my order be correct? With so many business interactions being digitized and becoming less personal, we care more about receiving great customer service. And you're probably wondering, how do I find an online store that embodies all the qualities that we're looking for these days? I decided to read what people were saying online about Card Kingdom. Lost Jedi 2003 says, Card Kingdom, hey, I just got my orders. Love, love the speed and efficiency from you guys. Thank Thank you very much. Twitter user Gold Convoy got a robot soldier token hand-drawn and included in their order. Huge thank you to Card Kingdom for the custom token. I asked for a mechanical robot soldier token and it's beyond what I could have imagined. Kitoshi got a fully colored rainbow chameleon token drawn. Brock Bro says, Thank you Card Kingdom. Ordered Friday, received Monday, fast shipping is no lie. Love the pull tab tape job on the case. 39 cards. 
Rich Baranek says, At CommandCast, you were right. Card Kingdom ships fast. Wasn't expecting to have this for another week or two. Also, no one mentioned the awesome care they take in packaging the cards. Even professional football player Cassius Marsh gets his hard-to-find foils from Card Kingdom. It seems the people have spoken. From fast shipping logistics to great customer service, card selection, and also the care their fulfillment takes when packaging each order, Card Kingdom goes above and beyond. I even purchase all of my Patreon supporters' gifts from Card Kingdom. So if you're looking to purchase Magic the Gathering singles and sealed products online, Card Kingdom has been trusted by Magic players around the world. You can also show support for Kitchen Table Magic when you use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. Again, that's cardkingdom.com KTM. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Paragon City Games. I've been talking about Paragon City Games for some time now, and recently I've been invited to film three vlogs at their game store for their Heroes League Invitational series. It's a local tournament where the winners compete at a year-end Invitational. The player community there is wonderful, competitive, and fun. They have friendly staff that greet every single person that walks through the door. The store itself is huge, open, clean, bright, airy. There's beverages, snacks, clean restrooms, a fully loaded feature match area, and a high-tech streaming setup. The entire store is filled with huge open tables, enough to fit over 100 players. I played at an FNM there once, and there were four different formats going at the same time. They also have a huge selection of board games, magic singles, supplies, tokens, handcrafted wooden deck boxes, and artisanal diehard metal dice. If you want to see the vlogs I made for Paragon City Games, just go to facebook.com slash paragoncitygames and click on videos. I made three vlogs, one for each of their standard, modern, and legacy events. Paragon City Games has a commitment to legacy, and they're streaming legacy daily at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. If you're ever in Draper, Utah, go check them out. And if you love legacy, watch their Twitch stream, again, at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. They're a wonderful group of people, and I'm so grateful to have them as friends. Okay, everyone, and we are back. Seth, I have some rapid-fire questions for you. Are you ready? Sure, bring on the, the rapid-fire questions, but be careful. I might go too fast for you. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Seth, rapid-fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? My favorite color in magic is going to be blue. I know, I'm guessing that this is your most common answer. <laughs> um, just because blue is, you know, it's the control color, and it's also the card advantage color, and it's also the color that allows you to do all of these different things that other colors don't have access to. It has the counter spells, it has the force of wills, it has, the, it has everything. Blue has everything you could possibly want, and it is the color that allows you to make the most decisions. So even though I do like red, I like to be aggressive. I like green for the big scary monsters, bl monsters black for the discard and white for the life gain. Blue has more things going for it. So I have to say blue. I think that I've had incredible success with counter spells and that would be my color of choice. And if you would pair blue with another color, what would you pair it with? I personally like to pair blue with red. Uh, I love the kind of tempo style decks. Maybe you play a, a creature and you back it up with some counters or some, some spot removal. Red kind of gives you this aggressive strategy backed up by the blue card of energy bounce spells type thing. Very cool. Very cool. So you were an is it mage. Very cool. Seth, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? If I could change anything about Magic, it would be 
giving a little bit more recognition to the pros from the end of Wizards, whether this be paying out a little bit more in terms of tournaments or platinum fees, that is certainly some, it's a hot topic. There is going to be an organized play announcement within the couple days. So maybe this has changed by the time this podcast has aired, but right now the prize pools for the, the pro tours haven't really changed significantly in 20 years. That's a long time to have a pretty stagnant prize pool without too much changing there. So I'm hoping that from the end of Wizards, maybe maybe they're able to put a little bit more into into their pros that are constantly playing and making it their lifestyle um, to play Magic. As a as a content producer, I actually I consider my writing for TCG Player, my content producing with them, as my primary source of income. I can't just play Magic and you know sustain a, a family by doing that. I need to have a supplemental. Um, source of income. And that may be the answer that a lot of players aren't necessarily looking to hear, because I think a lot of players aspire to be a pro magic player and think of it as this thing where once you get to the pro tour, you can become a pro and just solely live off just being a pro and playing. But you actually have to support yourself in other ways as well. I'm hoping that, you know, we become this huge esport, maybe arena takes off, maybe X takes off, and then pros are no longer making, you know, an average wage you know, that, a, but maybe because we're, hey, maybe we're considered pro athletes or something like that, you know, where if you look at pro athletes, holy crap, there's a big discrepancy in yeah, what, uh, right. what Magic players have played. So I like the game to just continue to get to get to, to get bigger. And then maybe that would inspire Wizards to um, put a little bit money, money in more money in on their end. Seth, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? If I could give something to every Magic player, it would just be a piece of advice. You know, don't get discouraged. Don't get down after losing. It's That's just very simple. Whenever I talk to pretty much any player, they normally want to talk about losses in a, in a tournament. And they want to talk about, I could have done this better, or I didn't do this right, or attributing something to losing, right? And my message would just be, hey, don't get down on it. Don't let that stop you from your love of the game. Losing is, it happens to everyone. I go to plenty of tournaments and don't do well. That's just something you have to be willing to sign up for when playing. Realize that, hey, if you're losing, someone else is winning, and just realize that your turn will come. And I think that's the message I would send out to everyone. Very cool, very cool. Seth, rapid-fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I see in the future of Magic the Gathering, the game growing. I see Pro Tours becoming bigger. I see pros becoming more recognizable faces. Hey, who knows? In five years from now, we might be bringing Magic back to your local TV sets. So it might not just be Twitch. It might be Arena blowing up like Hearthstone or like League of Legends or like these other um, sports. So I really I see this as a as a transition time for Magic, um, and I'm hoping that Wizards on their end finds ways to to continue to monetize the game, which is what they've been doing by printing these modern master sets and these more expensive cards. But I want to I'm hoping that there's other avenues and directions we can go as well, so that we're not taking taking a ton of money out of the players' pockets, but we're also 
giving money back to those who produce the game. And every, I'm hoping that Magic grows in a way that everyone wins. The pros win, Wizards win, the influential figures in the community, like yourself, we're all winners. The streamers, they're winners. There's so many different people, figures in Magic that consider Magic to be a, a primary focus of their lifestyle. And I'm hoping that the game continues to flourish. And that's, that's where I see it going. I hope it also flourishes as well. And I'm looking forward to that bright future. I guess we are both optimists at heart. And last, Seth, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience, like where they can find you on social media? Absolutely. I would request anyone who wants to talk to me to shoot me a message on Twitter. That's the media platform that I generally use. I will I will often respond to you if you send me a private message or just um, send me any type of message on Twitter. If you're interested in coaching, feel free to contact me there. I don't normally accept friend requests on Facebook for people that I don't really know just because, hey, I don't really know you. I may not have met you. I tend to like to like to hear people out on Twitter, feel free to follow me. Also, my write, my writing on TCG Player. I do both video articles and longer written pieces and on YouTube. So if you make a comment, I try to read all of the comments that I'm given by those that follow my content. And so feel free to reach out to me and I will try. Can't promise to, to respond to you, but I will try my best to. And we will have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org to Seth's Twitter, as well as all of the articles on TCG Player. And um, if you are looking for coaching, <laughs> 2015 world champion, all around great guy, incredible thinker of the game would be a wonderful Magic the Gathering coach for you. Seth, I just wanted to thank you and also acknowledge you for all of the hard work that you have put into the discipline and the craft of playing Magic competitively. I personally am very inspired by what you do and also a lot of your tournament wins. I understand that it's not just the fact that, hey, you showed up and you're good and you won, so what? You also attribute a lot of it to luck. You're very grateful of the of the opportunities you've been given. You're also very grateful of all the people around you, the friendships that you've made and other collaborators you've had that help you study and understand and also teach the game. And I also really appreciate you sharing your knowledge because you could just be a pro and not teach other people and not help other people. But what you're doing is you're creating content. So you're making the space that magic is a better place and a better space for people to learn and play and enjoy the game that you love as well. And I really appreciate everything that you do. And you've been very inspirational to people who love magic and want to compete at magic. So thank you so much, Seth. Oh, no problem. I had a pleasure being here and I hope that you guys got something out of this. And if nothing else, make sure to cherish your Civic Wayfinders and to remember me by that. So the last thing that I want you to realize is that I'm just another guy out there. Don't think of Magic Pros as these you know, it could be you, right? Like if you put in the effort, especially if you if you realize that magic is something you're good at, to stay with it. Don't think that there's something that magic pros have that you don't, that you can't attain. Just realize that a lot of players have not been playing for the, the same amount of length and the same amount of dedication as magic, pro, as a lot of the top pros have. And, and realize that even beyond being a pro, right? There's plenty of other respectable ways to play magic. And I have a lot lot of respect for players who play more casually and for just play for having fun most players right they don't care about the pro points or whatever they just want to enjoy playing with friends and that's the best way to play magic honestly is to just enjoy the game just think about that if you want to think a little bit about hey there's 20 there's however many guys out there that actually are able to sustain a, li a living doing this then fine but at the end of the day magic is not around in as large numbers today because there's a few pros out there it's more just because the game is great 
I always find it inspiring to talk to the heavy hitters of the MTG community. We just heard words of encouragement from a Hall of Famer and world champion. And as the MTG community continues to grow with the success of Arena, Commander, Unsets, and new sets like Ravnica, it's important that we are ambassadors of the game to new players. You can go tell Seth what you thought of our interview on Twitter at Seth Manfield. Seth also writes strategy articles on TCG Player. I'll have all the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. You can follow Kitchen Table Magic on Twitter at KTM Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and I'm on Twitter at Samo Tango. Kitchen Table Magic is now on Spotify. In addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and MTGCast.com. And if you have Google Home or Alexa, you can tell it to play Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. I did try it the other day. It worked, and I got a real kick out of it because, you know, technology. And again, if you'd like to get a sweet gift from Seth Manfield, you can head on over to patreon.com slash kitchentablemagic, where I give out signed cards from guests of my interviews. And as always, I want to thank all of our Patreon supporters, Brian, Marcus, James L., Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Neil, Aaron C., Corey, Chad, Logan S., Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Geraint, Scryfall, Matt, Ian, Carl, David, Matthew, and Chris. I really appreciate all of the supporters of the show, past, present, and future. Your kind words on social media, likes, follows, shares, and reviews on Apple Podcasts help new listeners find the show. Thank you all so much for listening to Kitchen Table Magic, as well as sharing it with your friends. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. When you release a press release that gets as much publicity as this did, you don't allow Jade from accounting to have quotes. The people who have quotes or are speaking to the press release have a significant stake in the game, whether they were involved in the pitch process, reviewing assets, or they're going to be the people that are overseeing the relationship. There were two people incorporated into this press release. You had a strategy executive from the Martin Agency, and then you had a digital marketing expert from Wizards of the Coast. What I noticed about the Watsi employee they included in this press release is the fact that he's only been at Watsi for approximately five months, and he was poached from Blizzard off the Hearthstone team. So that really clearly tells you from Wizards of the Coast, the people that are involved are specifically focused on digital platform gaming. And then when you look at the individuals included from Martin, they did a heavy amount of work for Shadows of Mordor for Warner Brothers Interactive. So it's interesting to see that on both sides of the equation, the digital aspect is what's really coming to the surface in this. That was Andrew Magrini, MTG aficionado and marketing expert. He noticed an interesting press release from the Martin Agency, a big-time ad agency that handles big-time clients. It seems that Wizards is rolling up their sleeves on making Magic digital. For four seasons, my guests have talked non-stop about Magic succeeding as a digital game. Is this the moment where it finally happens? Andrew and I put on our ad agency and marketing tinfoil hats and break it down for you. All on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. <laughs>